You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Who's excited for the word tonight? Alrighty, alrighty, let's jump in. We are continuing in our series, The Way of the... The way of the spirit versus the way of the flesh. That's right. And we are in week five, y'all. Can you believe we're five weeks into this already? I can't believe that it's about to be November. This year is, is this year flying by for anybody else? I'm about to have a two-year-old, y'all. This is crazy. Like life is going so fast. I'm done freaking out about it though. Last week, I had y'all turn to two passages of scripture and I kind of liked that. So I want to have you turn to two more passages tonight. If you are taking notes, do that. We're gonna be starting off in James chapter one, and then we're gonna be going straight into Luke chapter six. And I wanna remind us that God wants to speak to you tonight. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. God wants to speak to you, but the way that you're gonna choose to listen tonight is gonna determine the ability for you to hear what God wants to say to you. So as always, I wanna encourage you to do what you know you need to do tonight, to hear the most from God. So if you know you need to take notes tonight, then do that. If you know you need to put your phone away, hello, then do that. If you know you need to move seats, which by the way, if I saw somebody move seats right now, I would, I would give you something. That's how much I mean. That's how, that's how serious I am about, okay, I see you, Austin. That's what I'm talking about. For real, this is how, this is how important it is. I want you to steward this moment because the way you steward this moment is gonna determine how you hear, amen? Amen, and just a, just a side note on that. I got be real. Sometimes I see y'all's be reals on the best day of the week. Y'all be distracting, okay? Y'all not listening, so I'm just gonna say that. Be your pastor for a second, okay. Y'all ready to get in the word tonight? <laughs> we're, we're, if you're just now jumping into the conversation, we're spending nine weeks talking about the best fruit in the entire universe. And I'm not talking about pineapples. I'm not talking about bananas, even though bananas are good. And I'm definitely not talking about pears, y'all, because who eats pears? Like, for real? Okay, 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 okay. No, 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 we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? But we're not just talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We are comparing the fruit of the Spirit, the qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in us, to qualities, some not so good qualities that our flesh wants to grow in us and ultimately the enemy wants to produce these things in us. And so I hope this series has been as challenging and, and eye-opening for you as it has been for me because I'm telling you, each one of these messages, I've, they've been preaching right at me, y'all. It's been a great series. We've covered a lot of ground so far. We've talked about love versus selfishness. We've talked about joy versus despair peace versus anxiety, patience versus hurry. And tonight, if you're taking notes, we are talking about the way of kindness. Somebody say kindness. The way of kindness, that's a hard word to say, kindness, versus the way of harshness. Okay, okay, kindness versus harshness. James chapter one, first scripture. You can turn there if you've got a real Bible because you a G, my bad G. Where are you at, Ella? You're welcome. <laughs> I love you. You're the best. Okay, James chapter one. Here we go. Starting in verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. 
you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get, what's that word? Is anybody paying attention tonight? Slow to get angry. angry. There we go. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that is planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. All right, James chapter one. Now we're gonna go to Luke chapter six. So this is Jesus talking. Y'all hanging in with me? This is Jesus talking. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to a multitude of people. And here's what he says. I love this passage so much. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those and you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing. Somebody say nothing. Expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is, uh uh-oh, here's that word for tonight. He is what? He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Amen. Amen. That's a good passage. All right, let's pray before we get into the rest of the word. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. Father, I thank you that you are a kind Father, and I don't know where anybody else is in the room as far as their view on you. I know sometimes we grow up and we think that you are a harsh God. Sometimes because of the way we've been raised, we look at you, God, as a harsh father. But you are a kind father. You're a really good father. And so, Father, tonight, I pray every single heart would be softened to your word. I pray that you would teach every single heart, every single student, the way of kindness in a world of harshness. Help us to lay down harshness tonight and look more like Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Kindness versus harshness. Y'all ready to go? Let's do this thing. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you guys to raise your hand if you believe that you are a kind person, statistically speaking, 80% of you would raise your hands. Do we agree that 80% is the majority of people? Yeah, that's most people. So if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you say, I'm a kind person, most of us would be like, yeah, I'm a pretty kind person, Pastor Jackson. In fact, I was reading this week a statistic. It said, a new study finds that nearly one in two people believe that they are the best person that they know. (laughs) That's kind of funny. So half of the people that exist, at least, think they're the best person that they know. And I don't even think that's very truthful. I think people were being a little too humble because the reality is we tend to do this with ourselves, right, New Song students? We think we're the best. We puff ourselves up. We give ourselves a lot of grace, maybe too much grace. We give ourselves a lot of credit. We believe that our preference is the best, what we prefer is the best. Like, for instance, let's just be real. Everybody thinks that their music taste is the best, right? I'm going to... I think my music taste is better than yours, y'all. I'm just going to say it. And you probably think the same thing, right? Right? We all think our version of something is the best. The way we dress, we're probably like, yeah, they're cool, but like not as cool as me. Duh, right? Our preference 
is always centered around us. Like, for instance, our, uh, our musical taste, what we prefer, that's usually what we think is the best. Our, our favorite burger we think is the best burger, which, by the way, let's just take a second and acknowledge that if In-N-Out is your favorite burger, then you're, you are, in fact, correct. That is the best burger. It is. Yes, it is. In-N-Out, In-N-Out is the standard, all right? So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I didn't mean to stir the pot too much. <laughs> but hey, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. In and out's the best, okay. Uh, and hey, but check this out. Listen, preference, preference is not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's not bad to have preference. It's okay to be confident in yourself. It's okay to know what you like. But what's funny is we tend to say that we're the best at something or think our version of something is the best apart from any standard, you following me? So we choose what the standard of best is, and here's what I mean by that. Next time you hear somebody say that they're a kind person, have you ever heard somebody say that? I'm a pretty kind person. Next time you hear somebody say, I'm a pretty kind person, I want you to ask them a really interesting question, and here's what it is. Okay, compared to what? <laughs> compared to what? Here's what I mean by that. What is your standard of kindness compared to what? Now, when we talk about comparison in the church, we tend to talk about comparison as something you should never do. Have you ever heard a message on comparison before? Comparison, we talk about it in the church as being a negative thing. We say you should not compare yourself. We talk about how you waste your time comparing yourself to another person when you have no idea what God is doing in their life. You don't know what they're doing or not doing, so you're wasting your time comparing yourself. And this is true. When we do this kind of comparison, we are usually doing it from a place of insecurity, hello, and when we compare ourselves to another person, what it's doing is two things. It's either making us feel better than them or worse than them, right? We use comparison to feel better or worse than. We use people as our standard of measurement, and then we compare ourselves to that standard of measurement. Now, follow me. I'm going somewhere with this. Now, I want you to think of something about yourself that causes you some insecurity physically. Now, I think we could all pretty quickly think about something about, our, about ourselves, our physical appearance that causes a little bit of insecurity in us. And I will go first, okay? Growing up, I was super insecure about something. And it's, it's kind of funny looking back now. But when I was in high school, I used to be really insecure about the fact that I was growing chest hair before some of my friends, okay? This was something that I was insecure about. I don't really know why, but it was. And so I remember times in high school where we would be, it'd be the middle of the summer, and we would be going to a pool party. And your boy was dreading that pool party because I would get there, and I would find myself doing that awkward thing where, like, everybody is in the pool, but I'm standing out of the pool with my shirt off and my towel because I haven't mustered up the courage to take my shirt off yet. Have you ever been there before? And so everybody's hanging out, and then finally, uh, I get the courage. I take my shirt off real quick, and I jump into the pool, and then I just, like, keep my head above water because I don't want anybody to see my chest hair because what was I doing? I was making my friends who could not grow chest hair the standard, right? I was making them the standard, and so because I compared myself to them, I felt less than. Does that make sense? But this is kind of funny. There would be other times that I would be at a pool party and I would have a completely different experience because I had a friend growing up, one of my best friends, his name was Eric Raybon. And Eric was one of those guys 
who was growing a full beard by seventh grade. You know those guys? So Eric was a hairy dude. And so if Eric was at the pool party, you know what I would do? I would make him the standard of measurement. And so I would have no problem taking my shirt off and playing volleyball and getting all excited in the pool because, I mean, I might, not have, I might have more chest hair than those guys, but at least I'm not hairy like Eric. And I would make Eric the standard, right? I mean, I'm, I've got some hair, but at least I don't have shoulder hair, y'all, like Eric did. And do you see how, do you see how this kind of comparison is, is negative? Do you see this? Because in one scenario... I'm using other people as the standard and it's making me feel less than, right? And then in another, in another scenario, I'm using people, I'm using Eric to make me feel better than. I'm using him as a way to feed my ego. This comparison is not helping us. But did you know that not all comparison is bad? Not all comparison is bad. In fact, there is a biblical way to use comparison that we can actually use as a standard to help us know where we are in our transformation to look like Christ. Here's what I mean by this. Y'all remember Luke chapter six that we opened up in? In Luke chapter six, Jesus is literally comparing us to people. He is using comparison as a tool to, tr to show us what it means and how we should treat other people as believers. Look at this, Luke 6, 32, it says this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love you them. So right there, Jesus is comparing the disciples he's talking to, to sinners. He's using comparison as a tool. Look at this. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So I want you to see, this is really interesting. In this passage, Jesus is comparing the disciples and the crowd that is listening to sinners. And that's interesting to me. But what he's doing for us is he is defining kindness, which is what we're talking about tonight. He is defining the standard of what kindness looks like. So I wanna go back to that question I opened up with at the beginning of service. Do you think you're a kind person? You don't have to answer that. Just answer it in your head. Do you think you are a kind person? If I were to ask you that, majority of us would say yes, pretty confidently, I'm a kind person. But then I'm gonna ask you this question, compared to what? Compared to what? Who are you comparing your kindness to? Because if we're comparing our kindness to like Hitler, I think we're all doing pretty good on kindness, right? Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to have a standard of what we're talking about when we say, what is kindness? And in Luke chapter six, Jesus is giving us a pretty clear answer of what natural kindness looks like and it looks different than the kingdom. And so this is what I wanna talk about tonight. The first thing you gotta know about natural kindness though is this, natural kindness is earned niceness. Natural kindness is earned niceness. What do I mean by that? Well, this is how we view kindness in our fallen world. It's about being nice to people, but you only gotta be nice to people who are nice to you first. That's the world that we live in. Look, Jesus says this, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even people in the world, even sinners love those who love them first. And it's kind of like this. It's almost like we treat kindness like a tip for a waiter at a restaurant. And so we view everybody in our life as people who work to serve us. Hello. And we view people as people who are supposed to serve us. They're supposed to give us the attention that we deserve. 
They're supposed to fill up our glass of water, but not be too annoying about it and not spill things on us. And then, and only then, after they've served us really well, then we will give that person the kindness they have earned. Natural kindness is earned niceness. It has nothing to do with going out of our way to love people, to show them that they're a person. Really, natural kindness is just about not being mean to somebody. It's about doing the bare minimum. Can you, can you guys see how it's like transactional? It's like if you scratch my back, then I will be kind to you. You were kind to me, and so you have earned my kindness. You are welcome. Look at your neighbor say, you are welcome. But this is, this is exactly where the natural kindness of the world falls really short to the standard of biblical kindness that we're gonna get into a little bit because at its core, it's transactional. It's if you do this for me, then I will return kindness to you because you have earned it. But when this is our standard of kindness, it becomes very easy to walk in the way of the flesh that we're talking about tonight, which is harshness. Say harshness. What is harshness? I'm gonna define it for you. It's this harshness is the quality of being unpleasantly rough or jarring to the senses. The quality of being cruel or severe. Anybody ever felt somebody be harsh to them before? Yeah, I've experienced that before. It's the quality of being cruel or severe. And I'm sure every single person in the room has experienced harshness before, either because we were the one dishing out the harshness or because we were on the receiving end of it. But I actually, I love this definition because I think this definition is a perfect picture of what it feels like to be on the receiving end of harshness because harshness is jarring, right? It's shocking. It feels like getting punched in the stomach when somebody is harsh to you. In fact, I was reminded of this this week a few years ago. I remember I was in the car with Haley once. We're driving through a neighborhood and I still to this day have absolutely no idea what I did wrong, but the person behind me, they thought I did something straight demonic, y'all. They thought I did something so evil while I was driving around this neighborhood because I stop at this stoplight and this car like whips right up next to me and they're staring at me and they're like, roll your window down. And this is where I messed up, y'all. I rolled my window down, okay? <laughs> I should have never done that. Haley was like, don't do it. And I was like, no, they're probably just gonna tell me like, oh, what kind of dog is that? That's a really cute dog in your back seat. Or like, hey, your tail light's out. That is not what they wanted to tell me, y'all. So me being naive Jackson, I roll my window down and I'm like, hey, what's up? And they start letting me know with some really creative words <laughs> what I had done wrong. And can I just say, man, it was, it was really harsh. Like it was shocking. It was jarring. In fact, I, ra I rolled my window up and we drove off. And you know what's funny? This person is a complete stranger to me. So like I, I should have been able to just brush it off, whatever. But just because they were a stranger didn't mean it still did something to me. Like I rolled the window up, but I had to like, it took me a couple hours to shake off that harshness. And that's because harshness is jarring. Have you ever experienced harshness before? It's shocking. It's uncomfortable. It feels like you're getting the wind knocked out of you. And I don't know if you've noticed this, New Song students, but we live in an extremely harsh culture today. We live in a really harsh culture we live in a culture that says, I'll show you kindness as long as you can earn it. But the second you don't, the second you do something wrong, I'm gonna give you the harshness you 
deserve. We see this online. People are pretty cruel online, would you say? Man, people are rough online. I remember first getting an Instagram, whenever Instagram came out, I don't know when, but I was in high school, it was a long time ago, I feel old. But when I first got an Instagram, I used to want to have a lot of followers. And now I really don't care about having a lot of followers because you go to somebody who you're following who has a big number of followers and go to their comments section on their, on their Instagram feed. You will see some pretty dark, nasty stuff in the comments section. In fact, I've heard influencers say, yeah, I don't even read the comments because people are just harsh in there. Are you, do you know what I'm saying? We live in a harsh world online, but I also think we see harshness come up a lot in our friend groups, in our cliques. Can I just be your pastor for a second, New Song students? Can you, can, y'all listening? Okay, I, I really want you to get this because this is something I think we need to guard against at New Song students, but we see harshness come up a lot in friend groups and in cliques. I've seen it time and time again. You'll have this group of people who went to youth group together. They had a really tight-knit family. They loved each other. But then one person in the group does something wrong, and people are harsh towards that person. And then what happens is this group that was once so close and so tight, there's division, drama starts to show up. People start picking sides and getting ugly. There's like tribal warfare happening. Like it is just harsh. Or harshness can also look like this. It can, not, it can look like you not being harsh to each other in the group, but it can look like you being harsh to people outside of your group. It can look like you saying, nah, nobody else can be a part of our group because I don't want you to pollute what we've got. I don't want you to pollute what we've got. And can I tell you, this is a form of harshness, New Song students. And can I just speak to you, as we continue to grow as a New Song students family, and as we continue to get closer to one another, which by the way, I love, and I am all for all of us getting closer together in relationships, but we have got to ask ourselves some questions as we continue to grow. Here are some questions we've got to ask ourselves. Are we being harsh? When that person did something in the group that I didn't like, was I harsh with them? Did I say a joke to them? And I said it as a joke so I could say what I really wanted to say without having any consequences of it. I said it as a joke sarcastically so it didn't mean anything, but I really meant what I said. This is harshness, y'all. Are we being harsh to people that are not in our group? Are we shunning people, keeping people out because we don't want them to pollute the good that we have? This is harshness. Are you seeing this, New Song students? And so this is just, I just wanna say this to you guys because I love where we're heading. But as we continue to grow, harshness is something that we are going to have to keep guard against in New Song students, amen? It's because we live in a harsh world. It's easy to be harsh. And when, and when we have the wrong measurement of kindness, it's really easy to fall into harshness. I want you to write this down, take a photo of this point, tattoo it on your body, do whatever you need to do. But this is, check this out, this is crazy. If we see kindness as something to be earned, then we will view harshness as something that can be deserved. And I'm gonna read that again because that didn't compute for some of you guys. If we see kindness as something to be earned, then we will view harshness as something that can be deserved. What do I mean by this? If you only, if you only give kindness to people who have earned it, that means that you can look at people and you can actually think that they deserve 
harshness in some areas of their life. And we hear this all the time. Like, you might see somebody who is experiencing harshness from somebody, and you might be like, yeah, they're being kind of harsh about it. But I mean, like, if you knew what they did, have you ever said that before? Yeah, we're being a little harsh, but like, they kind of deserve it. Like, do you know what they did? This is harshness. And this is the kind of mentality that fuels this thing in our world called cancel culture. Who's ever heard of cancel culture before? It's nasty. We fall into this mentality that we actually think we can reject somebody. We can cancel them because they said something wrong. They did something wrong. Maybe they didn't do something they should have. And so we cancel them because we say, you deserved it. You deserve to be canceled. But here's what's funny to me. We cancel people because of the bad they did as if we've never done anything bad before, right? Cancel culture is hypocritical culture at its core. And there's a Bible story that I think gives us a really great picture of harshness. And I haven't read this story in a while. It's a classic Bible story. We're talking about the story of Jonah tonight. Somebody say Jonah. Jonah. I love the story of Jonah. And you know what? Growing up, growing up, I don't know why, but I thought Jonah was the superhero in the story. <laughs> I don't know why. But the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing that Jonah is definitely not the superhero in the story. In fact, he's more like the toddler who's having a temper tantrum. Jonah is like the teenager who doesn't want to obey their parents and come home at, at a certain time. They're just like, oh, God, you're the worst. This is Jonah. Now, if you aren't familiar with the story of Jonah, it's pretty simple. Jonah is a prophet. Look at your neighbor and say, he's a prophet. Jonah's a prophet. And Old Testament prophets were messengers. So their main job was to hear from God and then to speak for God. That's all they had to do. So in the very beginning of the book of Jonah, God comes to Jonah and gives him the simplest instructions. Look at this, Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So what happens? God comes to Jonah, says, hey, Jonah, what's up, dude? You're my prophet. All you got to do is just obey me. It's pretty simple. Please go to Nineveh and tell these people that they straight up crazy, all right? That's all you got to do. Just go obey me. But Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because Jonah knew that the Ninevites were straight up evil, y'all. Now, the Ninevites were people who were, they'd been uh, uh, enemies against Israel for, for years. And so Jonah, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because first they were his enemies, but second, because Nineveh was dark, y'all. In fact, this is really interesting. Archaeologists, a couple of decades ago, actually dug up some real writings from Nineveh, like actual kings who were kings in Nineveh. And I want to read you some things that these kings wrote down. Now, just a warning, it's a little nasty. It's a little gory. This is PG-13, y'all. Can we handle PG-13? <laughs> okay. I got two quotes for you. I'm not going to hammer you with some Ninevite writings, but I just want to give you two. <laughs> Check this out. This first one is from King Shalmanzana II. Okay. I don't know how to say that, but 
Here's what he says. This is a Ninevite king. He said, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of the city. Their youths and their maidens I burnt up in flames. <laughs> okay. So this king is talking about how he took over the city, and then he made a pyramid of heads, nasty, and then burnt up the rest of the people. So it's kind of dark, right? Here's the next one. This one's pretty weird. This is from King Ashurbanipal. I don't even know. Okay. I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger. Through his jaw, I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. Ew. Like, okay, so, <laughs> that's, would you say that's pretty dark? Yes. Pretty harsh, right? Okay, so, pay attention. Do you understand why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Yeah. It makes sense, right? Like, these people weren't just his enemies. These people were straight up crazy. But God told him to go to Nineveh. So what happens? Well, most of us know the story. Jonah doesn't want to go. He goes in the opposite direction. So God targets Jonah with a storm. Jonah jumps off the ship because he doesn't want the, the people on the boat that he's with to die. The classic part of the story, Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish, stays in the fish for three days, gets spit up onto dry land, and then guess what God does? God comes right back to Jonah and says, hey, God, hey Jonah, you still got to go to Nineveh. You still got to go to Nineveh. And so Jonah... He goes, he obeys, but he's got a little bit of an attitude about it. He goes to Nineveh, but he is not kind about it. He's obedient, but he's not kind. Are you hearing me? He's obedient, but he's not kind. John Mark Comer says this. He, talking about Jonah, goes around the city preaching a one-sentence message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. No three-point sermon, no cute story about his kids, no altar call, just one sentence, Yahweh is going to kill you all. <laughs> this is the kind of attitude Jonah has when he goes to Nineveh. And here's why. He had a heart of harshness. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is something we learn about Jonah. Harshness can be justified. Harshness can be justified. What do I mean by this? Well, Jonah was harsh towards the people of Nineveh, but for him, it was okay that he was harsh because they deserved it. They were evil. And in Jonah's eyes, the people of Nineveh did nothing to earn kindness from him. Are you following me? It was okay for him to simply just obey God, but to not be kind about it because they had done nothing kind to him. And you know what? I think this is a trap that all of us as believers can easily fall into. We can fall into this trap of God told me to do this, so I'm going to do it, but I don't want to. I'm going to obey but I don't want to. So I'll obey, but I'm not gonna be kind to you because they don't deserve it. So God tells us to forgive somebody and we're like, fine, I forgive you. And then we go off in a pouting mood, right? We obeyed, but we weren't kind about it, right? It's because we thought harshness could be justified. And here's what's crazy about this story. Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches the worst message in the history of messages <laughs> as a prophet, but God still used it because the entire nation after this message repented. An entire nation repented and turned back to God. Look at what Jonah 3.10 says. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned away from their evil ways. So they repented. God relented from the disaster he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. 
Now you think, you would think that Jonah would be excited about this, right? Like Jonah just obeyed God, he said what he needed to say, and an entire nation turned back to God. That would be pretty awesome, right? Do you think Jonah would be excited about that? But no, Jonah goes into a little temper tantrum mode, throws a little hissy fit. Look at what happens in Jonah chapter four. Look at this, this is so hilarious. It says, but this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from, the, from, the, from disaster. Now look at how dramatic verse three is. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. These people just repented, dude. And he's like, God, kill me. Please take my life from me, for it is better that I die than live. And the Lord said, do you do, you do well being angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what could come of the city. Point number two is this. Harshness isolates us. Harshness will isolate you, New Song students. Because you know what harshness is? It's an indicator of a hard heart. And Jonah's heart was hard. Jonah's heart was hard before he went to Nineveh. And it actually got even harder after he saw people get God's mercy who he didn't think deserved God's mercy. His heart got harder after that. And you know what that hardness did to him? It caused him to isolate himself. And this is what harshness will do in us. We will become isolated when we are harsh to people. And here's the two ways we'll become isolated. We will either do what Jonah did and we will distance ourselves from people who we think don't deserve our kindness, or those people will distance themselves from us because we are harsh. Are you following me? This is what harshness will do when we walk in it. We will isolate ourselves. And then the last thing is this, if you're taking notes, harshness is forgetful. Harshness is forgetful. Why? Well, this is so crazy. The way the book of Jonah ends is so wild. Y'all leaning in with me? You still here tonight? Yeah. I want you to get this. The way the book of Jonah ends is so crazy because while Jonah is pouting out beside the city, God is so awesome and so merciful. So God comes to Jonah and he creates a plant supernaturally. It grows out of the ground and it just shades Jonah. Jonah's just got his own little like his own little like fig leaf just right above his head because God created it for him. And then the next day, God sends a worm to kill that plant because <laughs> God can do whatever he wants. So, so the plant dies, and then, this is so bad, God sends the sun to just beat down on Jonah until Jonah's basically getting a heat stroke. And then Jonah freaks out again and asks God to kill him twice. And Jonah is being a straight-up diva in this moment. Look at this. Jonah chapter 4. This is God's response to Jonah's harshness. And the Lord said to him, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being by night and perished at a night. Should, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left. See, harshness is forgetful. What did harshness do in Jonah's heart? Well, it caused him to forget that God is merciful, that God is kind. Because Jonah looked at those people and said, those people don't deserve your kindness, God. And so harshness caused Noah to be forgetful. And not only that, it caused Noah to forget that he needed mercy just as much as the Ninevites needed mercy. And this is what harshness does in our heart. We look at other people and we say, we are actually better than them. When we require the same kindness that they do from God, harshness is forgetful. Look at this. John Mark Comer says this. Most of us want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else. But it doesn't work like that. God shows mercy to all. And if we see kindness as something that's to be earned, then we will actually function in harshness because we think people deserve it. But this is not what we're called to. We're called to a different standard, New Song students. God's standard of kindness is different. So with the short time I have left, what is kindness? Well, kindness is compassionate, others-centered generosity. And I love what Maxie Dunham says. The writers of scriptures define kindness as the virtue of the person whose neighbor is as good as their own. So kindness is you viewing another person's uh, well-being as as important as yours. Look at this. Jesus says this in Luke 6. He says, your enemies do good and love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. Be merciful as God your father is merciful. If you're taking notes, write this down. Kindness starts with God and looks like God. It starts with God and it looks like God. Because look at this, Jesus defines the standard for kindness right now. He makes it pretty clear and God's kindness is completely opposite of the natural way to view kindness. Natural kindness, it starts with others. It starts with others having to earn it, but the kindness that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in you has absolutely nothing to do with people and everything to do with God. Because if we're treating people in the way that they need to earn kindness from us, then we can confidently say, I am not walking in biblical kindness. Because kindness that we're called to walk in isn't based on performance, it's based on who God is. Jesus says this, be merciful, period. He doesn't say be merciful when they've really proved themselves to you. He doesn't say be merciful when they've really said they're sorry. He says be merciful because that's what God is like. And Jesus defines our measurement of kindness and the standard is really, really high, y'all. Guess what the standard is? It's God. God is the standard of kindness. And so if it doesn't look like God, then it's not biblical kindness. It looks like being kind to the very people you think don't deserve it. It looks like giving in a way that you expect nothing in return. This is kindness. Point number two is this, and I wanna invite the band to come up. This one is so important for us to understand, New Song students. Kindness recognizes the real enemy. You may hear this passage from Jesus and think, really, Jesus, love my enemies? Like, do you know who my enemies are? Now, I know we don't really use that word today, like our enemies, but think about somebody who like really did you dirty. Somebody who really did something that hurts you. Jesus says, they are the very person that deserves your kindness. Now we hear that and we're like, really, Jesus? Like, how am I supposed to give that person 
kindness. Here's how. You recognize that people aren't your enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers that rule over this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. New Song students, listen to me. People are not your enemy. People are not your enemy. And if you start with people, then you will view people as the main source of your problems, and then you can justify harshness. But the kindness of God, I want you to see this, is, is like a superpower that we can tap into where we can see past the sin that people are walking in. Look at this. Instead of making people the enemies in our mind, we're able to recognize that there is actually a real enemy who's trying to get them and trying to get you to walk in a standard that's lower than God, that God's called you to. And you know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean we allow people to sin against us and to walk all over us and to just be a nice person and let people do whatever they want to do to us. That's not what it means. In fact, it was actually God's kindness that allowed him to step into Nineveh and to do something about it because he didn't see Nineveh as the enemy. He saw the sin that they were in as the enemy. Amen? And when we view people, New Song students, as the enemy, we justify harshness against them. So my question to you tonight, New Song students, is who are you withholding kindness towards? Are there people in your life, if you would be 100% honest tonight, are there people in your life that you have made the enemy? You've made them the enemy. Maybe what they did to you was legit wrong and it hurts you. And I'm not here to say that that was okay. And guess what? God's not here tonight to say that that was okay. But what God is trying to tell you tonight is they are not your enemy. What they did, the sin that they did was the enemy, but that person is not your enemy. Are there people in your life who you have made the enemy of your story? Because God wants to help you walk in kindness towards that very person. And the last thing is this, as we get ready to close, kindness it steps into the mess. Kindness steps into the mess. I'm gonna close with this. I love this quote from Dane Ortland. It says, the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. And aren't you thankful that Jesus was so kind to you that he stepped into your mess? Man, I am. So who am I to see somebody else's mess and to say, nah, I don't need to step into that. I don't need to do anything about that. When God has called me and God has called you to walk in the way of kindness. Amen, new students. Would you bow your heads?